an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 607. Ah, oh, 607. Feels like only 605. Well, well, Matt, um, I think you missed 502 to about 605, but now you're back. Well, I got busy. But are you, are you back now? I mean, I'm technically contractually obligated to be back. You know, I, I, I have been very pleased by the number of uh, Matt Meyer appearances lately on intros and in actual episodes that are coming out. Yeah, I mean, the kids haven't seen it yet because we, for some reason, bank these like we're squirrels hoarding them. Well, it's just Why that the, is this the second squirrel reference we've made today. The nuts have... Well, no, other people don't know that. They will, eventually, these, but we're hoarding it, so you won't hear it for fucking three months. I'm sorry for using this terminology, but these nuts <laughs> will be scattered in at periodical points. This feels like... Gotta scatter those nuts. Gotta this, scatter is, those nuts. Uh, this is... The, the, these nuts? These nuts. This is the sixth podcast I've been to in a week. It's great. It's amazing. You're not on this episode, though. Oh, gotta go. Nope. No, this is how we get you in. Oh, God. This is a great episode. Well, I'm not there yet. That is sponsored by a great sponsor. This episode <laughs> is Michael Ironside, who... Jester! ...did a really great AMA, and just, you know, because he was promoting this movie called Extraterrestrial, which is in theaters now, and I was like, you know what? I've been a fan of that guy for years. He's been in some of my favorite movies. Of course we'll have him on. I had no idea... How uh, incredible! Th- th- I mean, this. I think it might be one of my favorite podcasts. I've been on this show for like 300 episodes now. And this is the only time I almost cried. I he got is, misty. It's amazing. He was so contemplative and uh, and I thought it was rude. Soft spoken and articulate and and wonderful to. I mean, full of life. Yes, just stoked to be alive. And before he left, he gave me his phone number. I'm going to call Michael Ironside. I'm going to fucking hang out with that guy. Wow. I'm going to have more Ironside in That's my life. pretty hot. He's... I bet he'd be down to play catch. <laughs> you don't mean that as a euphemism. No, no. I okay. mean, you show up with some baseball gloves. I think he would. Does he, like, show up in the wheelchair? No. That, then... You're thinking of Ironside's The Show with Raymond Burr. I'm sorry? Where he was you a lawyer. The guy or Blair Underwood. Ironside. I think Blair Underwood maybe was the new Ironside's. I'm not sure. Michael Ironside is Michael not. is his first name, and he's in a yeah. wheelchair and 
Yeah. I'm sure he's never heard any of that. I'm sure I probably even said that in the podcast, although I don't oh, remember. Oh, Chris, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Glad I wasn't around for that. That's uh, <laughs> why you guys show up. But uh, anyway, this is Nerds Podcast number 607 with the incredibly cool Michael Ironside. Now entering Nerdist.com. Nah, we're just talking about an old story. Canadian conversation enders. Oh, what? But it, and I thought about it. It's really true. From where I come from, it's like, oh, fuck, now I got to fight. It's like, you know what I mean? It's not so like, uh, uh, you know. How do you end the conversation in Canada? Just because I'm going to be politely. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Thank you. No matter what it is, you just say You're thank welcome. you and walk yes. away. Yes. It seemed, uh, it, you know, when there were, uh, Whenever there's like some kind of a riot or something up in Canada, I'm like, what? What happened? It's not yeah. supposed to happen up there. Everyone's yeah. and it's usually in Vancouver, which isn't really Canadian. <laughs> oh shit! Oh you know, no! The, the, you know the ocean sort of slid up and left a tide line on the on the on the Rockies there. That's a little east-west rivalry. You're Toronto, right? From Toronto, yeah. Oh yeah. Now, do the, does the is the Vancouver part of this rivalry? They're like, hey man, why are you picking on us? Nah, I have no idea. <laughs> they usually are jogging. <laughs> and I thought you guys, I thought you were supposed to be fighting with Montreal. That's not. It's Toronto, Vancouver. No, I'm just saying the Canadian is Canadian, and then there's Vancouver. Yeah, okay, it That's really totally is. Separate. It really is. It, it's a, it's its own little kind of. The mountains stopped something. Yeah, you know they got they they got stuck in the '60s. They kind of got stuck in the '60s a little bit. Yeah, it's now. Do you know it's the most populated city in North America now? Vancouver it's, is. Yeah, it's the more there's more people per square foot than even Manhattan. Oh my god, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, the watersheds up there are going bad, like in the middle of the summer now because they're running out of. You got to filter your water and everything halfway through the summer. They just completely overbuilt. So that. this is where the zombie apocalypse starts is in Vancouver. I would say probably in Burnaby. Okay, just outside right. Vancouver. Yes, <laughs> yes. Just leave it to a Burnaby boy to bite somebody. <laughs> <and> <laughs> <laughs> this is, by I'm the way, getting shit for this one. Not at is, all. Is, is this being recorded? Yes. Oh my god. No, but this is welcome home, Burnaby. <laughs> <laughs> you're, t- you're welcome to Canada Talk, all things Canada, with Michael Ironside, our guest today. Which uh, so you grew up in Toronto? Grew which up in Toronto is yeah. a, t- a city that I happen to love because it's as someone who travels a lot, I appreciate a city that's planned very well. <laughs> it's easy to get around. That that makes me very downtown. Happy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anything outside of downtown? Well, when you have to go up either Don Valley or something like that, I think it gets a little crazy. They haven't really planned ahead. Yeah, but uh, it is. It's a, it's quickly taking over the whole. It's like a, almost like a disease. It's taking over the whole north north shore of Ontario now, or Lake Ontario. Any theories on why Canadians are funny? They are. They are hilarious. Really? Yes. Hmm. You're doing it now, and you're I Canadian. Am. That that pregnant pause, that's that's genius comic timing at work. Timing. It, it's t- <laughs> it's you, no, I don't know. I'm absolutely. We were talking about Eugene Levy and some of the guys earlier. That uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. Were you a comedy fan growing up? I. Somebody once said I was shy. I don't know if I'm shy. I I was always frightened. 
so when I walked into a social or business situation, I always kind of hung back, trying to get the lay of the land, and I think probably so I could control it or manipulate it. Sure. But um, no, I was never one for comedy. It's uh, I get nervous around it. Yeah. I was. I did a film called uh, Jojo uh, Dancer with Richard Pryor. Yeah. And uh, which he based on his life, and if he'd ever been able to edit it, it would have been edited in chronological order. And I played that. He asked me to play a character that saved his life in in Illinois. But at one point, we were sitting driving, and there's a, where I'm driving with uh, Satin Doll, who's the woman who plays. Uh, I forget her name now. I'm, I'm totally unprepared to talk about this. But um, she, there was uh, Richard Pryor, this other actor, and Billy Eckstein all in the back seat. Now, these are all legendary, you know, performers that, and uh, grew up through vaudeville and Billy Eckstein and stuff like that. Richard Pryor, one of the greatest wits of all time. And then Satin Doll. And I'm sitting in the front, and we've done three takes in the sound studio on this car. And we've just saved his life, his character. And then they said, well, let's improv one. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, my asshole got so tight. I thought, oh, <laughs> shit. I'm going to, I've got to improv with some of, you know. And they went on, and the improv just took off. And they're all, and the one character had a stutter. And they were just going on and on and on and on and trying to one-up one everyone like that. And I was sitting there going, what the fuck do I do? And at one point, the guy was stuttering. Uh, he, he, he kept trying to get his, anyway, and I said, Eugene, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and he got quiet, and they all stopped, and I went, what did I do wrong? And I kept driving, and they all started laughing. <laughs> Richard, Richard ended up rolling up in the back of the seat. I could see his feet in the mirror, and, I, and the, it was totally unusual. I've got the take at home. He oh, you it, do? Yeah, he put it on three-quarter for me, and I've got it at home. But it's one of my, my only attempts at humor, I think, on camera. What was Richard like? Richard was great. Richard was a friend. Um, what was Richard like? Uh, painfully honest. Yeah. Well, I think you got a sense of that watching a stand-up. And which is one of the reasons why it was so groundbreaking at the time. If you, Richard was one of those guys you never asked an opinion of unless you wanted an answer, an yeah. honest answer, and because he would give it to you usually, <laughs> you know, undressed up. Yeah, know. but uh, and I think we're we're uh, we're less for him not being around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it there there so much of comedy wouldn't be what it is without that guy he once he, he was telling us one day on set he was sitting there he said he said you know when i was like i said where did you learn that as a weapon as a as a as a piece of armor and he said well when i was a kid he says the disrupted part of my family and stuff he says i literally came home and he says my grandfather was going to whoop my ass and he says and i went to duck him and i and i fell off the steps and i fell in dog poo he says and i stood up and they all started laughing saying look at that dumb son of a bitch he's got dog shit all over him and all that and uh and he says and i guess i've just been kind of like falling in dog poo all my life to kind of like keep people at bay you know and i said to him i said you got to fucking put that in the movie <laughs> and so and he does it he actually talks about it he says in the movie he says when i was a kid i fell in dog shit and uh, they all laughed and i've been rolling around in dog shit for the rest of my life that's a but that's based on a true story that's based on that was him talking about his granddad and trying to duck getting a whooping by having dog poo on him. It's and, interesting to hear you say that. Uh, it's interesting, I, and I appreciate that you say that you get shy in social situations. Right. Like I, I kind of get the same way when there's a group of people and I don't really know the lay of the land. I hang back too. But I think you're more of an imposing figure, so maybe people are like he's angry or he's. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm often thought, what's what's wrong? I'm nothing. I'm just thinking. My father. Uh, they got a hold of him. He's been passed down for about seven years. They got a hold of him. He lived in northern Ontario. 
After my mom died, my dad had a heart attack, and when there were still three kids at home, he moved them all up to mid-northern Ontario and raised the kids up there on a piece of land where he was building a house and a working-class family and stuff. And they got a hold of him on the radio one day for an interview, and, uh, and they said to my dad, they said, Mr. Ironside, Michael Ironside plays a lot of heavies and everything like that, and how do you feel about it? He said, it's my fault. And they said, I beg your pardon? He said, it's my fault. He has my face. He says, all my life, he says, I'll be thinking, and people think I'm angry. <laughs> and he's, it's my fault. He never gets to play good guys. And I can't do this interview. i got to go. And he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> that was my dad. And, and, uh, and I've used that ever since. The truth. I'll be thinking, and people say, uh, did I offend you? And I'll go, what? Oh. And then you have to smile. Then I gotta, then it's I gotta weird. Say. You have to do extra work to let people know well, that it's, is, everything's okay. Well, it's interesting. when you, um, The Japanese, when they put literature and theater together, they have a very basic rule. And they say, take the obvious and reverse it. You know, like, and uh, if we were on camera here, I'd show you. And most people reach forward and they go, I love you. Yeah. And then they lean back and get very hard faced and say, I hate you. When yeah. in, real, in real life, it's... <laughs> I love you. You know, yeah. it's the, the the interior emotions are the more difficult ones. So if you if you know that and you're willing to play with that, um, it makes an interesting character. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's just a sort of playing with the gap between what is expected and also, but then what like that that's what creates depth. Because if you see everything up on the surface, then there's nothing interesting or surprising about that, right? Mm. I think intuitively, audiences don't want something's real and not. We organically know when something's real. That's why when we're sitting in a dark theater looking through the window into somebody else's life and privacy, it could, the air conditioning can go out, and if it's a really good movie, you don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, babies can cough, you can be crowded in the theater, you'll pay attention because it's, it's a privilege to look, in, and look into somebody else's life. You know, we're not supposed to be there. We're peeping toms when we're watching a movie. Yet, if it's a bad performance up there, you're aware of everyone's cough. You're aware of the seat. You're aware of the sound of the popcorn in the guy's box two rows back. Yeah. Because the people in that movie or the movie itself is making it about them and not about the audience. Right. Our job is to not remind the audience that they're sitting in the dark looking through a window. That's what we do when we make films. you know. And that's why I'm kind of against using computers and pl different platforms to watch movies. Because it takes that... <clears throat> hiding process away from the audience. You're not supposed to be there. You're looking into somebody else's life if it's done properly. Oh, that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way before. Uh, it's my, I'm old school bugaboo, so... But you'd also... So when you're creating this, uh, this sort of voyeuristic uh, experience for the audience, do you agree or disagree that as an actor, you don't really have a lot of control? Like, you really just have control over what your piece of that is. So you don't have... You can you have a control by saying yes or no to the project first off, right? And then you have control over um, bringing what you bring to it as real as possible, is having an emotional base, no matter how farcical or how, how sarcastic or how ridiculous the character is. If it's based in reality, the character, this film we're here about, extraterrestrial, is based on a guy I knew that was a vet who couldn't deal with society, and he's a friend of mine. He ended up in the Santa Monica Mountains. And when the script was sent to me, it was really well written. Uh, and then I printed it up and I went to the TV room and read it again. Then I took a meeting with the directors and the writers and I thought, well, these are real good guys. They're, they're going to take this basically B-movie genre and turn it into something with dignity. And I said, this is what I want to do with this character. And they said, okay. 
And I tried to pay truth to the, now. Yes, my friend is now been on the streets and he's healthy and he's you know for seven years now. But there was a time when he didn't trust anybody, intelligent beyond his means and like that. But he did not want to come down and walk the streets. He did not trust you, and he didn't trust what he would do to you. Oh, and because uh, he was terrified. And so I took that basis, put it in Travis. Now, this is not a heavy film. This is a very light film. But there's an organically correctness about that character, Travis. Mm-hmm. And that's the big trick. Can you, um, can you bring a, a, a ring of honesty and integrity to what you do as an actor? And what's the biggest challenge behind that? Uh, being willing to look stupid attempting it. Falling in dog shit? Falling in dog shit, you know? And really, I mean, um, I think I'm at an age now where I'm willing to take risks. I'm actually trying stuff that I was taught 40 years ago, and I'm just starting trying it out now in the last five years. Is this because you're more comfortable now? I think, one, I'm older. Um, I have less fear of being rejected. And two, I've had cancer twice and and gotten over that. It looks like I'm in extra innings here. So um, I know that time is valuable. And there are some things that I want to learn I want to learn about how long my arm is, you know, and how long my emotional arm is. So, and I'm at that stage in my career where everyone thinks they know who I am. So I'm trying to reinvent myself so I can get some opportunities, you know. Yeah. Well, that's probably also just creatively fun too. It is if you get the opportunity. But there's always somebody who wants to hit me, wants to give me a shovel and tell me to hit the old lady with the shovel because right. they've made lots of money doing that over the years. Yeah. That's my old joke. You know, the lady may become. Elizabeth Taylor, the shovel may become chrome-plated, but it's still... The movie industry is a very, very, very risky business. You know, entertainment is very risky, as you know. And people want as much to a guarantee as they can possibly get when they invest their money. Of course. And if somebody's made money off me hitting an old lady with a shovel, that's all they want me to do. Right. So for me to say, no, no, I can actually hit old ladies with a truck. You know, or I can, you know, I can, I could drop the old bitch off the roof, you know. Uh, and they say, no, 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 just the shovel. We'll get somebody else that does roofs. You know, do you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's very, very conservative and very narrow. But then. As an art form. That's where you. Because money's involved. Of course. But then that's where you, uh, I feel like as a performer, kind of have to go then seek out the kind of things that you want and build the sort of a, if you the get the opportunity you if you get the opportunity or just make the thing that you want well and then again you got to get finance and you're back to money again look at i've been very fortunate i'd rather be working yeah than to be altruistic and sitting saying i'm not playing that my job is to bring as much reality if i get a choice to the things i choose and i've been fortunate enough to, to work fairly consistently for over 40 years yeah but there are things like i said now that i want I want to see how long my arm is. I really do want to try some stuff. You know, what did you learn from surviving cancer? If that's not a dumb question. Oh wow, uh, boy, I've never been asked that. It was, I read about um, it. Was thyroid cancer and prostate. I had cancer? thyroid cancer and prostate. Yeah, and and, uh, and the prostate. It's kind of funny. I got my prostate. They said, "Yeah, you got prostate cancer," and I said, "Well, is it fast moving, slow?" And they said, "We're well, not sure." We have three lab tests. Two of them came back slow. One's indecisive, you know. I said, well, what do I got to do about it? And they said, well, it could be six weeks. It could be six years, 16 years. We don't know. I said, well, I got to go do a movie. And they said, okay, but check in with us, and we'll do blood every 30 days and watch the numbers and see what happens. Because they go through your colon wall and punch holes through your prostate and stuff. And uh, so I got on a plane. I went to um, Bulgaria to do a film. And I I wasn't there more than a day, and I checked my messages. And the, the... 
Harvey called me and said, I was right. It's fast moving. Get your oh, ass in shit. here. And I called him and I said, I can't get in there. I'm in Bulgaria. And he said, I thought you were going to Burbank. <laughs> no, the, the literal and he, opposite. And he said to me, he said, well, when are you coming home? I said, November 1st. And he was, I'd never seen Harvey. He'd been my doctor for years. I'd never seen him that quiet. And he went, don't eat on the plane. And I said, really? He says, yeah, it's very fast moving. Um, I, so I'll be over here five weeks. I'll see you on the first. And he said, literally, we got to move on this quick. The film went over 14 days. I got back the 15th. I did not have a plan. They operated on the 15th. And when I came out of the surgery, he says, it had jumped, and we didn't know if we got it all. So I, I said, what do you think, 60 up? And he said, no, 60, 65 down. And I went, okay. And it was interesting. I've... Uh, I've been sober 31 years nice. right now. At that time, it was about 27, 28. Uh, and I'm in extra innings. I had a friend that called me extra innings. He go, hey, extra innings, how you doing? Because he knew who I was when I was out there. Right. And, uh, and I got used to the idea of dying. I really got used to the idea. I used to, as you can get it. And am I answering your question? Cause you you're getting there. No, okay. no, you're getting there. It's good. He, um, the doctor came back and he said, yeah, we got it all and everything like that, uh, but we got to do more tests because we're not sure. And I said, really? So I went back in six weeks later. Those tests weren't conclusive. They did more. And I really thought I was going to die. And I said, look, both properties are paid for. We got a place in Montreal. I got a house here if I die. I got insurance policies up the ass. You know, everything's going to be paid for. Uh, and I've had a pretty good life and I am in extra innings, you know, and everyone's going to be looked after. Fine. So they did a test, came back, and he, we were on a Friday night with my wife over, and we're going to the movies. And he called, and I pulled the car over, and he said, I want to tell you you're a cancer survivor one more time. And I went, really? And he says, yeah, I got two of the tests back. I didn't want to ruin another weekend for you. I said, thanks. I'll talk to you on Monday. And I told my wife, and we hugged. And my wife says, as we unembraced, I looked in the rearview mirror of the car and said, do you think I should get my eyes done? How am I going to lose goddamn weight? And she laughed and said, he's back. He's okay. The problem was, is I got depressed. I got depressed for about a month, and I went to see I went to see Harvey and I, my my GP, and I told him I said I'm totally depressed. I know I shouldn't be, and he said, "What do you mean you shouldn't be?" And he turned me over to the shrink I knew <laughs> that was two floors up at the Cedar Santa Group. I went in and saw her, and she said, "It's totally understandable." I said, well, "What's so friggin' understandable?" She said, "We're all afraid of death. We're all afraid of dying." You, for a very short period of time, thought you had some kind of control over that, that you knew when you were going out. Oh, And you had control over it. And I knew she was telling me basically the truth because I felt myself sit up while she was talking to me. I went, oh, wow, that makes sense. That you thought you knew when the end was coming so you could get your house in order and everything like that. Now you don't know anymore. She says, now you're you're depressed because you're back into the deep end with the rest of us. We don't know. And And it made total sense to me. That's what's changed. I know that time is very limited. I've dealt with that little black hole that we've got to squeeze ourselves through and don't really comprehend called death. And I think I want to get some stuff done before. It's not a bucket list. There are certain things that I've been reticent to try that I'm not so reticent anymore. Is that too weird? To not at all. Okay. What, 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 do you, what is it that you want to try? Uh, really loving Loving people, other people? People, places, and things. I've got some stories that I've been sitting on because of my fear of the actual material, um, my fear of blowing the material. Uh, there's one about India that was told me on a plane years and years and years ago that I wrote down, and I, I may do it next year. 
I made at the end of next year. There's some financing out of India that wants to do it. Uh, my big fear was that if I go to India, I'll have a life-changing event, and I'm afraid of life-changing events. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a challenge of your control issues. And so now that I've gotten through this whole harmatia of dying of cancer, I'm more easily embracing that idea. I've never heard that before, the idea of being afraid of a life-changing event, but I do underst- I understand. I have, a friend who go- I have a friend who goes to Calcutta every year, works at a clinic for a month and then goes off and does uh, Tai Chi in the Shaolin Temple in the Shaolin Valley and she says every year she calls up and says Michael you should come and I said maybe next year and she says yes because she knows I've said it's a life changing event and it terrifies me Yeah, and uh, I may go this year I don't know would, would you, things like that. Did you know what I mean? There's, I do know there's things that I'm very aware of the limited time I have. Mm-hmm. I'm 64 years old uh, my youngest is our youngest is 15 and when my wife had breast cancer twice and then I got cancer a couple of times she went through all this and uh, I went into her bedroom when she was about 10 or 11 one night and after I'd just gotten over the, the, the cancer and stuff like that and she turned ashen gray and I said are you alright and she goes I don't want you to die and uh, I get emotional here and I said I don't have any control over that. But I tell you what, I will stay alive as long as I can. And I saw the color come back in her face, and she said, you promise? And I said, yes. And then she said, can I, can I have pie with my lunch tomorrow morning? And then so I knew everything was cool. She was asking incidental material. But that really hit me was I went, wow, I'm at that stage in my life where i got to stay as alive as long as I can. Because it's not just about you. Right. And it's not only that, but I have a limited amount of time. I'm aware of the length of my arm. Um, chronologically now. You know, I've seen 74-year-old people. Mm-hmm. They don't eat really well. <laughs> they don't walk really well. Some and they drive like shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so nobody's going to give that person the opportunity to run a film crew. Right. You know, or to stand in... I just saw Emmett Walsh in something, and it was great to see him. But I thought, my God, somebody had the balls to hire him. You can literally stand <laughs> up. And Emmett's an old friend of mine. And you know what I mean? So I've got a very short window of time here to be able to do possibly what I want to do or, or do dignify some of the stuff I want to do. Well, maybe do. not as short as you want, but because I will say this. My, um, what's today, Thursday? Sunday is the one-year anniversary of my dad dying. And, it, it, and he basically just, he was lucky because he just dropped dead. Like, he just... Chest, <laughs> Easy but, for you to say. Well, <laughs> I mean, he didn't suffer through anything. Okay, he was okay. totally... As far as anyone knew, ostensibly he was healthy up until the second that he died, right? So he didn't have to... He never became an old guy. What was his full name? Uh, Billy Hardwick. Oh, wow. Yeah. William Hardwick or Billy Hardwick? William. Okay. Yeah. Uh, does that ring a bell? Or they just... I mean, so he... Um, the, the Indian... The natives say that you live as long as your name is said. That you, you die two deaths. One is the physical death, and the second one is the last time your name's said. Oh, that's chilling. I never thought about that. Ah, so it's really weird. Write it down somewhere. I will. Wait, I wait, will definitely. William Hardwick. Well, now we've recorded it. Well, it's every. I mean, I like. My, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's uh, okay. Yeah, but 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 the fact is, he was 72 years old, and uh, but you know, he looked and acted like he was in his mid 50s. Like you never would have, mm-hmm. you know, still ran a business. But he just, I just think there's things that. I just think that there are things that some people don't 
do all the time. And obviously there are circumstances that prevent it. But I do think if you eat relatively well and exercise, it does extend your chances for mobility the older you get and not, you know, so you don't just sort of, I think the people that sort of shrink like this, it's just, it's, they're just inert for a lot of it. So I think it's important to live. Yeah. I mean, God, I'm esoteric metaphysical bloody conversation. It's just, um, I have now got, I feel like I have a responsibility to be as present as possible in everything I'm doing. I'm very aware when I shut down now. I'm very well when I just sort of sit down to watch a hockey game or I take that pause, you know, because my head's very active a lot. I'm very aware of my daughter, my 15-year-old, I'm very well, my oldest daughter. I'm very aware of the taste of food. I'm very aware of the feel of my wife's you know, hand in mine. I'm very aware of when she rolls over in the middle of the night and if I'm awake, I'm aware of her breathing. It's not, it's not to the point of being obsessive-compulsive. It's almost like in celebration. There's a celebration about everything now that I'm very aware of. And, I want to, and I'm trying to find a way to articulate that in a visual sense you know it's like you know I've been offered a lot of things to direct over the years and I just can't find anything that I find worth the use of that time you know at best like I said let's say 10 years you know if I'm lucky if I'm fortunate if I if I if I get that that gift and uh, to take 8 to 12 months of that and piss it up against the wall doing something that is not going to articulate what should be used that time should be used for. Sure. So it's kind of, maybe I'm painting myself into a corner, but I hope not. Well, I hope, I mean, look, not, you know, not that you asked for any advice from me, but I do think that sometimes you, you know, and not knowing you very well, so please forgive me. It does sound like you're trying to control that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you just start down a path you, I'm, I don't know if control. I'm trying to be more responsible. Sure, but I think, but I think, you know, you obviously have a very strong idea of what you want to say. I don't think you would let it get to a point where you. But, but at the same it. time, I'm aware of the accidents. For example, uh, I was allowed to read. I was allowed to read. Um, my my dad had a grade three education. Uh, there was books everywhere. My mom and dad read. Um, they had my, we live in a little 12 and a half foot house in the east end of Toronto. And we were allowed to have our light on at night as long as we were reading. Oh, wow. My dad said, it's fine, you know. And I would read, I was allowed to read anything that I found. As long as, if it was on the bedside tables, they hadn't read it yet. If it's on the floor, I can read it. So I read everything from Lady Chatterley's Lovers to uh, Terry and the Pirates to Velishkovsky to anything my dad would mumble reading, we were allowed to read. And, uh, and I told my daughter that. And I told Finley that. And I said, uh, my youngest, and I said, you can read anything you want. You can have your light on as long as you're reading. Um, she said, okay. And uh, one night I got up, and uh, a couple of months, no, it was last year. And uh, I went in, and she had fallen asleep reading The Last Unicorn. And uh, I took the book, and I turned off the light. And I was obviously, I'm going to get emotional again. <laughs> as right. I was leaving, I realized that every time I ever woke up, my light was always off. And I was having one of those moments my father had had, that he must have come in every night and turned my light off when I was reading. And I never knew it. And here I am, 60-some-odd years old, and I get that revelation. I get that recycling of my life. And that's what I'm interested in. That's, I'm trying to find those corollary points that are in all of our lives because they're the things that touch people. 
And it's unfortunate that it, it, I mean, do you, is this something that you wish you had figured out sooner or do you feel no, like? No, I think I'm, 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 I'm not that I wish I, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to feel it now. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of the rites of passage, maybe through some of the stuff I've been through recently. I think we've got to slow down and take those moments. We've got to understand some of that stuff. You have those moments in your life. You guys have, everyone here does. It's uh, in a world where everything's being shut down and trimmed down and squeezed into a tweet. Mm -hmm. I think we have to sit down and take a little more time and and maybe take a breath and give the story a little more time. Yeah. Well, I always, I mean, I've been saying for a long time that I think the reason why it feels like time moves so fast is because we're distracted in every minute by something as opposed to, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder sometimes what it'd be like just to go sit in a cabin for a month with, with literally just with no, nothing completely unplugged. And I'm sad to say, I don't know. My brain is like, you could never do that. I mean, obviously I could. I don't think I have any interest in that. I do want to, I think I do want to be able to look at things when I see it. Like I've been sitting there thinking, how old's that wall? When was the, when was the mortaring done on that wall? You know, that's those bricks are like 1920s because they're, they're old kill style bricks, you know. There's the, the marble work in the bathroom. The little things, you know what I mean? It's like, I want to be paid tribute to the heritage of storytelling i want to tell to the heritage that has got us to this point yeah not constantly re push it behind us right it's too slow it's too slow we've got to get this in and sell that box of salt at the same time oh i know know? my dad my dad used to say all the time he said hey buddy you gotta stop and smell the roses every day is that a wookie purse it is a wookie book (laughs) it's a wookie book that's (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing this is our podcast guest book which hopefully you'll sign it this is where all like all the guests in the last handful of months have signed it and uh did you see that that tilt that uh harrison did on uh was it jimmy fallon or late night or something like that i just happened to see it i have where some Wookiees guy dressed in Wookiee stands up in the audience and Harrison Ford had an argument with him and then walked off. And I thought it was one of the most brilliant bits of TV. Did you say that was a Fallon or Kimmel or something? Cause he likes to, it might've been Kimmel. I, Cause I feel like, I feel like he likes to, he likes to play up the cranky guy on Kimmel in particular, but that's what he did. And he, he literally like you piece of shit. Yeah, that was Kimmel. That was Kimmel. And, I did and, see that. And, and I just sat there and I'm, that is talk about double and triple entendre. It was just one. <laughs> Wonderful. It took that many years after a movie like that and his career, like the culmination of so many things lining up to make that moment work. Pretty good stuff. So you, uh, is this going the way you wanted it to go? I don't know. It's, these, this is just a conversation. It goes wherever we want. What kind of show is this that you do? I you're, don't, I you're don't in it. To, this oh, is it. Good. It's right. just, think of it this way. It's, uh, it's about an hour conversation with someone that you're interested in learning more about. It's like having a coffee chat. So it goes wherever, but I think it's better. I mean, listen, we could, I've seen a million things you've done. I could ask you a million questions about, Scanners or Total Recall or Sequest, anything, but to hear God, Sequest. But this is. <laughs> I don't talk to fish. Well, we brought the dolphin. Uh, no, I don't talk to fish. <laughs> but uh, but I think you know what's interesting is talking to you like this and really getting a sense of who you are. I think is what is what's fun for me okay you know but and and i might veer you know like we could veer into we could veer into some act acty stuff i know also whatever you want i know also that um you started writing when you were 
a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so do you still, is that, is that something that you ever actively pursued or were you, was that part of the, I was, I did a lot of, um, whew. when I first got to Los Angeles, I did about 19, I did, I think around 19 features in Canada before I was absolutely broke from staying in Canada and came down here. And when I got here, um, I did V first, that mm-hmm. TV series. And yeah, I remember. I think, and I think Richard's film was the first film I did. It might have been the Richard um, Pryor's film. Was it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But uh, I did a lot of rewriting. I'd worked with a lot of directors and Canadian producers that had moved down. So they would send me first-time writer-directors and say, look, at the script board's out the 48 days. They've got to cut it down to 30. Can you walk them through it? Because I'd done a lot of that in Canada. So I... I made my way that way as a writer. Um, Writing-wise, i got to tell you, I've said it just recently, a family member asked me, I said, back in the day, when, 20, 30 years ago, I thought I knew about everything. You know, I thought I had a handle on everything. And, uh, but my writing craft was not that great. Now that my writing craft is great, I'm not sure what I know. (laughs) (laughs) And especially this cancer run five years ago has kind of reordered the books in my library kind of thing. It's reordered the way I look at things. So I do know that I don't want to waste my time. I do know that I want to finish something. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I remember as a kid, I mentioned this myself. I'm the oldest of five, and I have, like I said, 80-somewhat, 87 or 97 first cousins. And... I remember sitting with my sister on the top of the stairs at home when we were little guys and you know where, the, where your feet are actually on the steps when we were little because I remember we were leaning forward on our knees and saying I don't know why I'm here but I know it's important and talking about life and she said me too and I remember that I mentioned it to her last Christmas and she goes yeah I remember that conversation I said do you still feel the same way she said yeah and I said me too I don't know why we're here but it's got to be important. That's and, sort of and, I'm, and I'm trying to find it. I think we, if most people, I think, go through that. I don't know if they, they articulate it that way. But it, it's like those what's it all about, Alfie, moments. You well, know? yeah, I think, I think some people articulate it in, um, some people articulate it through action. You know, they just do crazy shit because they're just trying to figure out, like, maybe this is it. You know, like they're experimenting and trying to figure out if this is the thing that's going to mm-hmm. make, it, make it clear. In some way. And I don't know. You know, Adam West was on yesterday. He's 84 years old. And he said the same thing. You know, he said a similar thing, which is that uh, he was like, I realize the older I get, the less I know. Like, he just doesn't know. So his whole thing was... I don't know if that's true. I know that... um, I, I don't know less. I don't know if it's worth me trying to sham it down your throat mm-hmm. that is going to pay any attention. It's going to, how do I do the best service of what I know? Right. You know what I mean? It's what I'm saying. It's, 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 uh, how do you deliver it so somebody else can digest it? Right. How do you take a life? Because most, most, most things that are worthwhile are experiential. Mm-hmm. That's why I think as we get older, we've had more experiences. And if we're, we're safe enough with the material, we get, we get a chance to assimilate it into a conversation, a piece of work, a piece of art, um, and hopefully present it to somebody so they can digest it and it'll either enhance or help order their life. And, boy, that's a heady, heady thing I just said. No, but you but, just made me think of something. But you know what I'm saying? And, and I don't know if I know less. I feel less emotional need to be acknowledged for what I know. Right. 
if you know, I don't need somebody to go, hey, you're a smart son of a bitch. You really fucking got your stuff together, man. I want to suck your dick. You know, I mean, you well, know, sir, I just met you on this bus. That's very odd. Yes. <laughs> you nice know, meet you. it's like, God damn it. I'm going to make you feel good for the thing you just did for me. But uh, no, it's that's what we all want. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's not like that. It's, I it's, would love to exchange blowjobs for knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a Canadian tradition. <laughs> But I think it's interesting that, you know, we have this biological directive. I think our brains in general have this biological directive to, you know, to spread our DNA to, you know. That's a, to, that's a very inappropriate image. It is. After we just went. Yeah, no, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. We'll uh, swallow that so one. But. Not on a bus and don't say swallow. Uh, but uh, I understand. Yes. But, you know, we have this biological directive to, to pass on our genetic material. But then also it sounds like there's this parallel emotional directive to pass on. You know, the God, I I feel like did I tell the Jean Claude Van Damme story on the podcast before? I must have. I was on a plane about ten fifteen years ago, and uh it was one of the first times I got to fly up in first class, so it was a big deal for me because I was it was work and it was like, Oh, they're fly I'm fancy now. And I was sitting on a plane and two seats over was Jean Claude Van Damme, and we're flying over a storm. And it was the first time I'd ever flown over a lightning storm. And it was unbelievable. Just like, it looked like how I imagine, like, an animation of a brain looks. This is like throbbing mass, all this lightning whipping through it. And so I said sort of out loud, rhetorically, Ah, you know, it would be really great if there was some way to put this experience in someone, else, this experience in someone else's head. And Jean-Claude Van Damme said something like, Ah, but no, this experience is just for you, and it should be you for you alone. It was like, something very profound about how... You know, some things are just for you, basically. And I always thought that was a really interesting, you know, like, maybe some things aren't for everyone. Maybe we don't have to, you know, s- smear our experiences I, yeah, all over the what you're, But what you're doing right now is, is, is acknowledging the, the validity of having one of those experiences. I guess that so. That somebody else has had that or had one of those ah, me too moments. Because mm-hmm. how many times do you go through something and we're so super self-conscious in this universe now that, you know, because everything is, everything is examined. There's cameras everywhere. There's podcasts everywhere. There's screens everywhere where everyone's looking up everyone's asshole and trying to tell everyone that, you know, we're the same and we're not the same. Yeah. All we need to know is you're alive and, the, and, and sort of like validate that you can have a feeling. Validate that it, that is significant. Validate that, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, I do. It's not necessary that, oh, I, wow, I can have that moment and like Total Recall, put it in a machine so you can have it too. <laughs> right, no, right, right. No. No, I think it's we're all alive. Let's celebrate being alive. Yeah, and also, exp- and also, including your fears. Just appreciate the thing just for itself, and not have to make it any any more than that necessarily. Stop and smoke. I remember when I was first sober. We were, I was. It was at the beginning of V, the TV series. We had to fly down to Oklahoma for some Oklahoma Dallas area for this big balloon shoot. It was in December. Before we really started shooting, I think, and they wanted it in the movie because I think in the series because we spread the alien stuff that kills the the aliens from balloons, and yeah. so they wanted to shoot me in conjunction with this huge balloon fest that only happens in the fall, and flew down for that, and then I had to go to New York, and I was flying, and I was newly sober at that time. I was about a year sober, and uh, flying from Dallas to New York, the plane um, had some problems, and they said we're going to have to stop early somewhere we're going to i forget where it was i think it was washington and uh 
And all the way through, I was obsessing on these two suits that were sitting across the aisle from me, getting hammered. Every time the liquor bar thing would go by, they'd steal another bottle and pop it down, and they had them stuck in their shirts and acting quite like I used to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was sitting obsessing on them. And as we came in for landing, you know, these two drunks, and everyone said, secure, if we do hit and if it goes sideways, put your head down, do all this. And they're all, like, totally hammered out of their mind. As we came in for the landing, the plane did hit. What had happened is evidently the landing gear was screwed up. Oh. And it went sideways down the runway. And just as it did, I remember looking over at the two drunks who were too busy picking their asses and going, I I got this thought. I went, ah, we're going to die, and they're going to miss it. (laughs) Oh, shit. And it, it was like a minor epiphany for me. It was like, holy shit, yeah. That's about avoiding being alive. Yeah. You know, and it, I mean, I got it in that a very clear message that day. And it was sort of like these poor assholes. And they were like, what happened? Rah, rah, rah. No. And everyone was like just adrenalized afterwards. They had this natural high coming off. And it was. We got to look at the window. They had guys all in front of the window that said, let me see. And they stepped aside. And the whole landing gear was all mangled and stuff. But it was that one of those moments. You know what I mean? It was sort of like. I know that moment. I have, I have 11 years. Oh, and, good for you. And I, and I know that moment because it's the, it's the very thing that, uh, it's why I don't stay at parties too late because at a certain point I'm like, these conversations are fake. It's hard to report. They're kind of, yeah, these are, these are not real conversations. These are people yeah, I can remember. But that was, um, life has, there's all this life affirming shit going on all the time. If you're willing to sort of slow down and stop searching for it, trust that it's there. I'm, it's, uh, we could go on for hours. About Please this, keep going. Nah, it's why I don't. It's why I. It's it's why you know, whenever shitty personal things happen, like you know, like when my dad died or whatever, it, it never occurred to me like, oh, it'd be great if I could start drinking again because I felt like he deserved me to experience that as clear headed as myself in a real way. It was interesting. My dad's best, like I said, my dad, I have, my mom had 18 brothers and sisters. I have 97 first cousins on my mom's side. (laughs) My dad had one brother who got killed during the second world war. And, uh, my dad, God love him. He was such a, a wise person. We'd go to a funeral and he'd say, no, they got all the answers, and we're left with a dilemma. <laughs> and I never really got it until uh, his best friend died. And my Uncle Jim, which was his best friend, my mom's older brother, they were raised in East Center Toronto, met his children, stayed together. Uh, I was propagated, and then they got married afterwards when her father allowed the permission of my dad to marry her. But at my Uncle Jim's, my mom's older brother, uh, we're in this huge congregation at this funeral in Peterborough, Ontario. And these birds flew up in the middle of it. And I was standing at the back and I watched the birds go up. And as I was watching them, I looked. And the only two people out of about 160 were there. It was me and dad and I looking at the birds and he smiled at me. And he was like, hey, you know, and this is his best friend, you know. And I got it. It's like afterwards I said, he's got all the answers, doesn't he? And he said, yeah, yeah, he's got all the answers. So that was comforting. And that made me feel safe. I don't know how to, you know what I mean? And Safe and not afraid to die. Safe and that, that, that someday you'll get answers. That it doesn't end here, I think. Yeah. There's something going on. My father is still present, very present in my life. I actually, had, I, I mentioned to somebody else today. My, my daughter went through something the other night. 
and then again in the morning. And as I went out and got in the car, I was actually having a conversation with my dad before I realized that. I said, I don't know if I should tell her. I really, how old was I when you told me? And I'm talking out loud, and I realized I'm talking to my dad. You know, it was like. Does he answer? I think so, yeah. It's kind of like, um, not so much an answer. It's it's kind of an embrace. Mm-hmm. It's the question. It's not whether I have the right answer. It's the fact that I'm even questioning this stuff. That I'm not being. I, in parenting, I believe you should let the kids, let your kids see you as awkwardly as possible, because <laughs> <laughs> the, the illusion that we all got our shit together is going to get, is going to screw up a kid. Right. So let them let them see you with all your bumps and warts and your indecisions. Just be honest about it. Say I don't know. Let's go find somebody who does. Yeah. You know, and that was the way I was raised. So. I find that um, sometimes in those moments, I just imitate my father, and in imitating him, I actually come up with an answer. It's like, oh yeah, this is what he would say, but it, I have to do it out loud. Ah, don't worry. Like I have to get into that into the character of him to actually then extract the advice that I need in that moment. One of the most powerful things my dad taught me was to say, "I don't know." Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> and I really didn't try that until after I stopped putting down all the shit that helped me fake that I knew. You know. All the all the walls and. Do you think is that uh, because intuitively it feels like saying I don't know is is. But I don't know allows you to say let's go find out. Right. That it, but but you probably at first when you first think of it you go oh no I don't want to expose a weakness because I don't know something and knowledge is power and I don't but then but, just but in most cases human beings I I think for me for the first kind of three decades of my life I spent way too much time in your head looking at me through your eyes and then trying to posture appropriately right to get your approval. that's a lot of energy fuck it's exhausting <laughs> and usually I want to screw the one person in the room that I can't do that with right you know so it's uh, so it's so much more. It's easier to say, I don't know. Yeah. And if you want, don't know either, let's go find out. And if you don't want to find out, I guess it's not that important. By the way, are you still projecting into that person's head looking at you? You still actually don't know because a lot of the time you're not right. Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 the, it's the worst find. Stimulus augmented ego, I think it's called. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> well, it's just our way of just trying to control the... And maybe that's part of the... Um... Maybe that's part of the drinking gene is just like just control, just trying to control. If it's drinking, it's like everything. It's alcohol, drugs, food, violence, jumping off cliffs with not enough material to get you to land softly. Um, looking for something on the outside to fix my insides. Did you have you did the you did a Reddit AMA pretty pretty recently, right? Hmm? The Reddit thing where you're answering all the questions people were asking. Yeah, anything. yeah, I'm pretty. I, I find that it's great to be honest because I got a lousy memory, yeah. so I just answer things as honestly as possible, and that was kind of fun. Yeah, I think it's fun for people to. I mean, it, it's in as much as the dark side of you know we're our attention is being sucked all the time from computers. And the one the kind of interesting thing that I think has happened is that I do think. It has spurred more conversations than necessarily would have happened 20 years ago. I think we have to make an effort to sort of look around. I've, I've, a couple of months ago, last, well, actually not a couple of months ago, it was about this time last year, I live up in the Hollywood Hills, and I, I stepped this up in my front door, and there was this huge Arctic owl sitting on the pole across the street from me. It must have been about two and a half, three feet tall. And I was looking at it, and I went, oh, my God. And these two women were coming up the hill, you know, walking up the hill with their Walkmans in their ears, and they were playing on their phones. And I wanted to go, hey, hey you got to look up. And I went, 
fuck you go you know what i mean it was like <laughs> yeah because they there's already, so much light they made their made. choice what was the billboard there was showed a frog there was a digital yeah. frog and a real frog yeah and it said put the put the device down yes i like that i i there's a time and a place for everything but uh i don't trust the communication of everything being built down to a tweet it has its place but don't don't tell me that that is pure communication and that's all we need Right. I'm trying to get my daughter to put her phone down so she, and read a book. Yeah. There's something organically happens when you take a book and you allow yourself to, to be told a story. Mm-hmm. The best of us. We're still sitting around campfires. We need the campfires. We need those moments of solitude. We need those moments together to sit around and tell stories to each other. Do you go on retreats ever? Like, no. No? I can get quiet just about anywhere. I, I kind of feel like I need the environment to dictate that it's i've been on a retreat i've been on a retreat in 20 years or something like that i spend enough time i can spend time alone i can yeah what do you do uh like just in the course of a day like what does a regular day off look like for you i'll go golfing oh nice for four hours four and a half hours i turn my phone off and nobody can get at me yeah and i have a discipline golf is wonderful because people will say things to themselves that they would probably kill somebody for saying you you know somebody will do a bad shot and call themselves things like you stupid blah 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 and they would smack somebody if they ever talked to themselves <laughs> and they so it it's one of those disciplines for me that teaches me uh how i really feel about myself oh that's interesting because uh, that's really interesting I, I i work i worked at golf courses when i was in college and I, I saw the worst side of people. Throwing clubs and <laughs> Throwing screaming. Throwing clubs and, and screaming. These are so, like... It's totally socially unacceptable behavior. But, <laughs> um, I like that. Um, I like reading. I, I'm Canadian. I watch hockey. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, lately I've been doing an awful lot of reading. An awful lot of reading. And kind of rereading some of the stuff that I read before. You know. What'd you reread that you liked? Oh... Uh, Brothers Karamazov, uh, Anna Karenia, probably one of my Anna Karenia, uh, one of my favorite books of all time. And the new translations from Russian, they're they're different because they're they're less politically correct mm-hmm. because they were they were messed up in the seventies and the sixties. And the new translations are much. Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, read some of that shit. You know? <laughs> and um, some some Dickens and stuff. I understand now. My grandfather Finley, he was I when he he, he was a First World War vet, um, was captured outside Paris. He was one of the old British. They called him the old Contemptibles, and he spent five years in a, in a German war camp. And near the end, he was in a veterans hospital, and I used to go up and see him every twice a week and take and he'd get me to bring books and I started to recognize some of the books. I said, You've read these before. And he went, Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, Why are you re he says, I want to make sure I've got what I got when I go. It's too late for new information. And I catch myself, I'm at that stage now where I'm going back and I'm was that seminal important book to me still important? Mm-hmm. Can I get something else out of it? Uh, Fenimore Cooper's Drums Along the Mohawk sort of thing, you know, taking looks at different books that changed my path as I went, the road not taken. I'm going back and want to know why, and does it still affect me, and, and have a ring or, or have a truism with me today. 
So well, of course you'd have to get different stuff, you know, at this point than and at the same time I'm writing, I'm reading other stuff and writing and you know, but uh, so you are writing stuff. I'm writing right now. Yes, yeah, I am. Yeah, are you going to show anyone ever? Are you going to do stuff with it? Uh, there's there's two I'd like to do. Actually, I was I, I was up late last night because there's I'm kind of tired. Here. There was because of the F um, the the film mart. There's a lot of people in town and. Um, I had people up at the house last night, an old producer friend of mine, that we're trying to stage something for about two years from now. Uh, he's busy until next year, and I, I'm off and on busy until next year. So, <clears throat> so I didn't get much sleep last night, oh, yeah. you know, because one of my old stories we were looking at, and um, it's a ghost story, and uh, hopefully we'll get around to it in the next two years. Hey, let me let me pitch something to you. Not a story idea, but just an idea for your life. And you can tell me to fuck off. <clears throat> um, you probably have a best friend, right? You got a best friend? Everyone's got a best friend? I've got a few, yeah. Okay. If you, if you think about it, every once in a while, invite him over. Just talk and record the conversation. And when you get a handful of them, just give them to your kids. Because hearing you talk... As a human being, you know, you may not always talk, communicate this way with your mm-hmm. kids. It's something I did with my, I was lucky enough to do with my dad, just like have a conversation. And I'm so glad I did because it basically, it will forever cement the idea that I will never stop speaking his name. So I think it could be a very interesting thing because you have a lot of really great points of view on things. And I hope, you know, maybe, maybe your 15 year old daughter, although it sounds like she's pretty cool and smart may not be in a place to fully understand and absorb the person that you are. And I so I, I think maybe just, if you, if you think about it, record some conversations with friends just talking about, about stuff. It's not, bad, it's not bad advice. You know, it's interesting, though, is my father came home every night from work at 5.30, and it was absolutely necessary that we sit down to dinner in that little house of ours. You know, all the five kids and whoever was there, there was always more. So, and we were allowed to talk about anything at the kitchen table as long as it was civil. Uh-huh. And uh, the kitchen table became something that you were allowed to do anything and say anything as long as you did it respectfully. I've tried to keep that in our house. Yeah. We sit down to dinner, and at dinner you're allowed to talk about anything. Nobody trumps anyone at the kitchen table as long as you do it politely. I've, and I don't have any authority in myself. I can try a bad, you know, a tough face. And my daughter goes, what, is that supposed to stop me from talking? Right. You know, I have to line up for the bathroom in my house. You know, I don't get first. <laughs> and so that kind of freedom has happened a lot in our house. And because those avenues of communication and stuff like that. So, but God, taping a conversation, that would be so hard to get over the presumptuousness of it, you know? Not really, because you just forget it's there. Well, you do it. Look, you do it for a living. You sit in front of a microphone. Yeah, it's like I talking don't. to people. But I, but I think if you, you know, and even if it's clunky the first couple of times, you know, just, just do it until it's not. Because you'll forget it's there. You'll just start talking and conversing. And then, or even if you start talking about the fact that you're recording, that reveals something about it. it I don't know. I just, I just think... I just think that... Uh, do you, I, I, do you I, write? Do you write? I write a little bit. I mean, I write on my shows, uh-huh. but it's not like I'm not... And I wrote a book once, but I, it's, I, don't, I don't write anything... What, like, was about? what was the book about? Yeah, it was, it was a nonfiction book about um, basically focusing and getting shit done. It was, a, it was like, almost like a, com- a self-help book, but sort of jokey. And, well, you're fairly accomplished. How old are you? You're in your like, 30s? 42. 42, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Well, just because I fucked up a lot in my 20s. I still don't know everything, but I, I know a lot more than I did when I was... Now, now I would say that uh, at least I'm not making the same mistakes when I was in my 20s. I'm making new and innovative mistakes. Yeah. Um, so and you remember them. I, yeah, at least I remember them now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But at least you can learn from them, too, when you're clear-headed. You if can, you're willing. Yeah. If you want. Yeah. You should. Um, but uh, well, it's it, this movie that you're... You, I mean, I still want... You talked about it a little bit earlier, but go ahead and plug it and... I'm not here, but I usually, as you probably know, I don't do this. I don't come out. <laughs> I know. I, I was... do my work. I take my shoes off. I go home. And costume. And I really like this film. I like the guys that made it, um, the Vicious Brothers. Uh, I like the lead actress in it. I think she's absolutely brilliant. She's one of the best people I've worked with in a long time. She's really, really good. And, uh, <laughs> and I think it's worth seeing. I really do. It's... Well-written story. The two guys took a, a genre and pushed it to its absolute limits, you know, and uh, right to the point of almost being tongue-in-cheek in places. And uh, and today, where things are constantly being rushed, and you don't always get your money worth when you go to the theater. Mm-hmm. I think you get your money's worth with this, and that's why I'm out here. I'm, I think people should see this film. Screw my performance. Screw anything. Take a look at the whole thing as a con- as a complete thing. Have you guys seen Interstellar yet? I haven't seen it yet because I've been working. I saw the seventy mil print the other night, and uh, it's wonderful. It's oh, fun. you liked it? Good. I like. I'll tell you what was interesting is uh, talking about because things happen when you see movies. When you make the effort to go out and sit down and the formalization of taking somebody with you, paying the money, sitting down in the seat. There's a, there's a ritualistic thing about that. And then the lights go down and the light comes up and the window opens and you watch. And my, my daughter, the 15-year-old, kept leaning over and saying, hey, hey, and asking me stuff. And I go, yeah, yeah. And because uh, we knew the science was correct in the film. They'd already, the guy that took over from, for Carl Sagan, I forget his name now. The, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He said in a bunch of things, he says, the science is good in this film I'm not going to tell you about the film but the science is, is good it's all possible but we're doing this and as the and near the end of the film I, I, this came up in another interview today so it's not exclusive <laughs> but uh, I realized that at the end of the at near the end of the film we got up and everything the credits were running that I was around her age when I saw 2001 with my dad oh wow and I got so emotional I looked at her and she was just full of life after the film, the 15-year-old. I went down, I was using the washroom, and there was a huge... We saw it at the Cinerama Dome, and I came out of the men's washroom, and I watched her, because she was leaning against the wall with her water, and she was absolutely, totally in the moment. She was just so... You could see her charged. As people were going by, and she's quite good-looking. She, for, you know, she's 15, looks about 27, and she's built like a brick shit out. She's great. <laughs> and, uh, and she's very smart and very talented, you know, and... Uh, place the shit out of guitar and uh but i was looking at her and i was frightened and excited at the, the same time looking at her because i thought some lucky son of a bitch or maybe a couple are going to get to know her yeah and uh and then she saw me and and she just sort of went you know and it was like and I got to have that corollary folded time moment that I had with my dad. And she got it. And I didn't point it out to her that I was the same age as, you know, I let that happen. That's hers to find out, you know, if, yeah. she, if she has kids. Yeah. But it was like, wow. Well, yeah, that moment of, uh, you know, where you're still young enough that it's, and, and wow, that's really interesting. So she's still young enough that she's having these new sort of universe expanding experiences. Mm-hmm. But then, 
it gets harder and harder the older you get, but you got that moment watching her have that moment and being taken back to when you had that moment. And, and it's like that inner, that inner space of your life. It's going back again. Like I said, I'm looking at other novels I've read and things, you know, and trying to refarm. I don't know if I'm fracking my life, but uh, <laughs> trying to. I'm glad you said that. But you know what I mean? I'm fracking around. Yeah. But, uh, but you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to. I'm like my granddad. Maybe it's a little too late to be trying to get new stuff in here. Maybe I should really take a look at what I've already got. Well, it's good to take a look at what you've already got, but I don't think it's too late to cram new stuff in. No, I, I don't want to eat snails. <laughs> Escargot, I'm you're still going to have to sell me on that one. No, I will never, I will never eat a snail. That's a uh, cut. <laughs> yeah, Kyle's all about notes. I can see this. <laughs> but, uh, well, this is, uh, we're at about an hour. That was about an hour. Oh, well, like, those are pretty painless. It was amazing. You were fucking great guests. This well, was fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, it's not that, I'm not surprised, <laughs> but I'm just happy because I didn't know, I mean, obviously I knew you from your work because uh, I've seen, like I said, I've seen m- m- almost all of the things that you've done and I am a fan of it. And certainly could have nerded out on you yeah, about that. But an hour of hitting old ladies with shovels would have been a <laughs> That's a chrome shovel and it's Elizabeth Taylor. But uh but um but after your Reddit AMA, I was like, oh my god, I really want to talk to the I really, really oh, cool. really actually wanted to get to know you and you did you did not disappoint. Oh well, thank you. This is fucking amazing. So thank you so much, man. And uh I hope I get a chance to catch up with you again at some point and Maybe hang out and have a coffee. See extraterrestrial. It's it's anyone that's out there and you guys go see it. It's it's worth the admission. It's it's kind of a communal kind of experience too. It's kind of fun. It's a fun, uh, touching film. Is the same as uh, the what is it, Interstellar? Yeah. These are moments. They're they're films you can sit there and go. Remember when we saw Extraterrestrial? Remember when we saw Interstellar? I remember the theater. I remember the scene. I mean, you know what I mean? It's not some. I remember a couple of years ago, I, I remember the Academy, so I have all the films, right? And my daughter came over and, they, and all the kids said, can we see Jumanji or can we see this and we see that? I said, yeah, but for every film that you want to see, I'm going to have a film that you have to see. Uh. So if you're going to watch Jumanji, you got to watch Village of the Damned, the first one. If you're going to watch this one, then you got to watch The Haunting of Hill House. Nice. You know, this thing, go and giving them singular moments from my childhood that I think were the story, the visuals, and the acting all work. And it's always wonderful to watch them when they're watching. Not that Jumanji's a bad picture, but they run and they get chips and they don't miss anything. They go pee. Right. The Haunting of Hill House is on and nobody leaves the room. Right. It's black and white. It's Julie Harris. It's Russ Damblin. And there's no special effects. There's one door that bends. And they all sit there and go, (gasps) and that's what I love about storytelling. That's what I love about visual storytelling. There's the ability to give everyone a common experience. And I was there when, do you remember? Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about film. Anyway. Well, listen, here's to, uh, here's to not only treasuring the process as things happen and appreciating the moments that you already have, but also to many more new experiences, which I know you will have. You just walked out in your house and saw a fucking three-foot owl. I mean, like, you're there, your life is full of new experiences. You know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what studio we're in. And I'm still trying Hollywood to Center. I know, but you say Hollywood Center. I think it's another name, isn't it? 
It's Hollywood Center now, but years ago, th- this this place has been around since like 1919. Yeah, so they no, shot a bunch fine. of. Yeah. So when you leave, I got to pay attention. I was doing a radio interview on the phone when we drove in, so I didn't get to see the gate because I kind of recognize some of this. I'm, stuff. You, there's no way you haven't shot stuff here before. You, yeah, I know I've you, shot. You must have, and if you walk around, you'll see like uh, you know uh, they shot I Love Lucy on the stage we shoot our show on. There's uh, Burns and Allen, Laurel. Oh, and you Hardy. do a live show? Do you do a live on camera show? Yeah, I do a couple. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. So it's so we shoot. Uh, yeah, we shoot. We've been shooting on this lot for about a year, and it's there's a lot of it's it's one of those lots where you kind of you wish that one day, if, as long as you could fix it the next day, you could just start ripping the walls open to see like what's stashed in here or like under the ground. There must be amazing stuff hidden in this place yeah, somewhere. There's a lot of jello in this place. Yeah, <laughs> you just walk through it. And you go, who is that? <laughs> That's ectoplasmic residue. Uh, Thanks, Michael Ironside. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.